Good morning. Uh, that is what it's all about right there. And as we, as we walk through the book of Acts, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, we are to chapter 13. And uh, there are 52 verses in chapter 13, but you'll be happy to know we are focusing on one through three. All right. And so uh, we're going to look at those three verses primarily and then pull some of the missionary journey. I've got a couple of principles I want us to see as we are sent out uh, that we see through Paul and Barnabas through the rest of the chapter. Uh, but I wanted us to see uh, and hear from Josh, a, a, a missionary, a church planner in Canada. Uh, he, he was uh, a pastor here in Winston and, and we were good friends with him. And as soon as God was calling him to, to Canada, we, we jumped on board and said, how can we help? How can we how can we pray for you? How can we support you? And we support several other church planters um, around the world and here in Winston-Salem, some just right down the street from us because we care about gospel saturation and every man, one child have an opportunity to hear and respond to the gospel truth. One thing we always say here is that in, in our lifetime as a church, we desire that it would be impossible to leave your house in the city of Winston-Salem without having a meaningful interaction with the gospel truth. And we desire that. We believe that that is not too tall a task to ask of God. Um, salvation, if you haven't realized it, is, is a little bit unbelievable and seems too good to be true. But Jesus did come and Jesus did live for us. He did die on the cross. He did rise from the grave. And in him, we can be saved and we can be set free by his grace. And we can be defined by who he is and all of his work. And then he tells us in Acts 1.8 that he sends the power of the Holy Spirit to live and dwell in all those who believe to be his witnesses to all the earth, to every nation, man, woman, and child. And so it is not too tall a thing to ask of God to actually move in a powerful way that can only be described by him moving. It's actually promised to us that when we are his and we surrender to all that he is doing and find our life in him, that people will come to know him. And man, I get excited about that. And I get excited about churches being planted. And I get excited about people like Josh going all around the world to plant churches and see people come to know Jesus. Uh, and so as we're going to get into this text, I know Matt just prayed, but it was Samuel Chadwick, uh, a pastor, uh, just a, a very wise man of God who says, the enemy fears nothing that is not bathed in prayer. And that includes sermons. And so let's pray together. God, thank you so much uh, for our time that we have together this morning. And, and God, that you are at work. And God, I pray this morning that you would challenge us. I pray that you would encourage us. I pray for those that don't know you, maybe as Lord and Savior, that they would, you would draw them unto you, they would place their faith in you, that they would know freedom in you and all that they long for and all that they were created to have would be known in salvation by your grace through faith alone. God, for those of us who know and love you, I pray that we would be challenged where we live, work, and play today, but I also pray that we would be encouraged to know that the power of your Holy Spirit does all the work. And that in you we find life and in your mission we find everything that we are longing for. It is the most satisfying thing to be found in. God, I also pray that you would broaden our perspectives, that, that we wouldn't be so caught up in just who, uh, what's going on in life around us and even what we have to do this afternoon, that we would not feel in our heart and mind in this moment that there is anything better to do than hear from you. And God, we pray that we would hear from you today. God, let us, let us be aware that you are at work and that it's not just in us individually, but it is around all of your creation. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor David Platt, some of you uh, by, might be aware of him. Um, I love him. I've read a lot of his books, and he is a very challenging, challenging pastor. And one of the stories that, that he shares um, is about Bihar, India. And, and Bihar, just to give you a little bit of perspective, um, it's about the size of Virginia, all right? So think Virginia. Virginia has about eight and a half million people, but Bihar has a hundred million people, all right? And they are crammed together in a place the size of Virginia in 45,000 different villages. And amongst all of those people, 0.1% know Jesus as Lord and Savior, most of them have never heard the name of Jesus. They don't know that they can have salvation by grace. They believe that they have to work. Their families have been Hindu for generation, from generation to generation to generation. 
I also want you to know, and I don't say this to, to, to kind of put a damper on the moment at all, but just to encourage and challenge us, that 5,000 people a day in Bihar leave this earth. They pass away. And, and because only 0.1% of the people in Bihar know who Jesus is as their Lord and Savior, that means that roughly 4,995 people die every single day and they spend eternity separated from the God that they were created to know for all of eternity. And I say that because I want us to just kind of think for a moment outside of our little bubbles and outside of what we're thinking of and what we're worried about and what we're anxious about and what we're thinking about and what we want God to do and to, to realize that, there, that while God is concerned about every little detail of your life, he is also has a plan for, for all people and all of creation and he is working and moving amongst every nation, tribe, and tongue. And there are people dying without knowing that he is Lord and Savior. And it's not just happening in Bihar. It's happening in our neighborhoods. It's happening in our city. Though this is happening there in Bihar, two men, uh, about three years ago, actually, um, one of them a chicken farmer and one a school superintendent, all right? So these are not people who are called to full-time ministry. They're not being paid by any kind of organization or church. They are just two men who decided... We have Christ and we know what Christ has called us to do. We know the power of the Holy Spirit is in us. We know what the power of the Holy Spirit has called us to do. And we want to see people in our village come to know Jesus. And so they just set out to start telling people about Jesus. And, and they had almost what they would define as zero success. Like nobody was coming to faith. Nobody was even interested in hearing anything that they had to say. But they didn't give up. Because they knew that the Spirit was working. They knew that seeds were being planted. And what they did is they sought out some, some training. And they found some training that was available to them and, and how they can share their faith with the Hindu people. And, and so uh, one of the challenges of that training at the end was that they would go throughout their village and just ask everybody if they can pray for them in the name of Jesus. And they kind of joked around. They tell the story. They joked around about that. They didn't really think it was going to work at all. But hey, they've tried everything and nothing's worked in their mind, so we'll try this too. And so they go through their village and they're asking people if they can pray for them in the name of Jesus. And to their surprise, one man that they talked to heard them use the name Jesus and came up to them and said, Jesus, I've heard of this person. Can you tell me who he is? And so obviously they're like, of course, like that's why we're here. They're kind of getting giddy about it. Like maybe God is actually doing something. The Spirit's working in the sky. We've been praying for this. Like this is something they've waited to hear for a long time. So they start to share the gospel truth with this man. And right in the middle of it, he stops them. So they're thinking, great, we blew it. Like we said something wrong. We did something weird. We don't know what happened. But he actually said, wait, 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 I want you to come back to my house and I want to get all of my family and friends together because I want them to hear of this Jesus that you're telling me about. So they follow him back to the, his house. He gathers together all of these people in his house. And over the next several days, they shared with them the truth of Jesus Christ, the grace that we can be saved in, that it's not about our works, but it's about the work fulfilled in Christ and his work on the cross and in his resurrection. And, and by his accomplishments, we can be set free and we can be defined by who we are in him. And we can know life and freedom and 20 different people in that village gave their life to Christ over several days. Amen. Now that's awesome. But then they didn't know what to do. But what they did know is we have read scripture and we know that we are not just saved to gather. And so we want to be disciples who make disciples who are sent out to see people come to know Jesus and to grow together. That when we gather as the church, it's not going to church, but it's the church gathering as the people of God. And we're just as much the church Monday through Saturday on mission where God has placed us, where we live, work, and play, than, than we are any, at any other time or in any other service that we come together to worship. And everything that's happening out there should just be coming in here and be a celebration of what is happening in the church throughout the week. 
So we come in here to be encouraged, to be trained up, to, to worship, to, to encourage one another, and then to be sent out. And we should leave this place every single week excited and expectant for what God is going to do. And they know that. And so they think to themselves, well, how do we send these 20 people out? And they did the only thing they knew to do. Hey, here's what we want you to do. Go in groups of two, and they kind of follow this Luke 10 way of doing things. In Luke chapter 10, when Jesus sends out the disciples, go in groups of two and go in all of these villages around us, and we want you to ask people if you can pray for them in the name of Jesus. Right? It works for on you, so maybe it'll work on some of these other people. Right? And so they send these 20 people out, And three years later, there are 350 churches gathering in 350 different villages. Now listen to me, that is something that only God can do. That is a divine thing that cannot be ignored. And there's story after story of things that are happening there. I was listening to a podcast yesterday about a church planting movement in Japan and how the gospel is just exploding in Japan. We know that the gospel is exploding in China and in Africa and people all around the world are coming to faith and planting churches and being sent out on mission and seeing disciples made. There are stories all around us that are happening just like in the book of Acts. God is the same today as he was yesterday. His spirit is just as powerful. His mission is just as true. And the spirit that lives and dwells in you wants you to do so much more and has so much more planned for you than just gathering on a Sunday and going out and trying to make your way in a world that cannot provide anything you want or were created for. You are made for something so much greater and it makes everything that we seek in this world to give us any form of satisfaction absolutely boring in comparison to. And man, I see it happening all around the world and and I'm encouraged by that and I get excited about that. But man, I'm also reading that story and I'm just like, man, God, I want to see it here. Like, I want to be a part of that. And that's what I'm praying for, for our church and for our city. It's why we collaborate with other cities. It's why we want to plant churches. I don't know if you know this or not, but we have six men in this church that are gathering together every other week to to be trained, to be sent out and plant churches in our city. We're working with a a network of other churches in our city and Christ together to to start a church plant institute for the church of our city that when men would come here and desire to plant a church, they can be trained by a handful of different churches in our city that would say to to as much as we can, we are going to ensure your success and your survival in this city because we want to see people come to know Christ. We want to see disciples made. We want to see people grow and and love and have unity, but we also want to be sent out and see people come to faith. And one of our goals here is not some numeric number because we understand that, listen, we could grow this church to 5, 10, 15, 20,000 people and not see the percentage of lostness in the city of Winston-Salem and the triad area move one ounce. So we talk about percentages and we want to see the percentage of lostness decreased. And so we work with other churches. We desire to plant churches. We will help another church that's right down the street from us. And and if God is calling you to them, we will encourage you and we will help you get there and help that pastor do what that that church is being called to do. Because it's not about us. It's about the kingdom of God. It's not about any entity. However God wants to use us, guess what? We will, in, a, in the most thrilling and exciting way that we possibly can, walk in whatever doors God opens. But it's all about seeing him move in our city and in our neighborhoods and with our coworkers. Because listen, the people all around us, they need Jesus just as much as those people in Bihar, India. Amen. They are just as lost. They, they need salvation by God's grace just as much as anyone else on planet earth. And, and unless you are called somewhere else, and if you are, fantastic. Listen, listen to me right now. If God is calling you to anywhere else in the world or some ministry in our city, let us know. We will pray for you. We will train you. We will support you. We will send you out. We will support you when you leave. We have two, Beto and Kenzie, that are going to be on this stage next Sunday, and we're going to send them out back to Portugal from our church. And we're going to support them, and we're going to pray for them. 
And they're going to go to a place in Portugal that has less than 2% followers of Christ. So if you're being called to something else, you need to know we're for that. We are for you. And whatever God is calling you to do, we are not going to tell you what God's calling you to, but where God is leading you to, we will get behind and we will support and we will help because we want to see people come to know Christ all around the world. But if you're not called to something like that, then God sovereignly has you in this place to love and build one another up and to be sent out to reveal the goodness of his grace and the worthiness of his glory to all people in our city where we live and where we work and where we play. That's what you're called to. And anything else will leave you longing and wanting. And listen, I want this to be a defining characteristic and desire of our church. That we would be a church that that longs for the word of God. That desires to be found in his truth. That sees Jesus as everything and changes everything and transforms our hearts and our lives. And everything that we desire and everything that we do and the way that we live and the way that we spend. and, and, And everything that we think about and to be a people of prayer because we desperately want to be led by God. And we're desperate to know him more. And we're dependent on him in every single thing that we do. That we would be overwhelmed by what he has done for us and who we are in him. And we would be a people who love his mission. That love what God loves. The desire to see people come to know him. Because it is the one thing, listen, that we can be a part of that gets past you, past superficial excitement that you can find in this world. And it gets us past fleeting joys that we find in this world. It's the one thing we can be a part of that gets us away from the slippery pedestals that we try to put ourselves on to find some sort of life that cannot be found in this world. It's the only thrilling purpose. It's why we are here on this earth. It's why this church exists And you need to know that if you're in here this morning or you're listening online and you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and you do not desire to participate in the mission of God, then everything and every moment and every desire and every longing that you have, the answer is Jesus Christ. And your purpose is found in his purpose. And today you can place your faith in him and know freedom and purpose for the very first time. But church, I I want you to hear my heart on this. And I'm trying to get as worked up as I did in the first service. I I exhausted myself. (laughs) But I want you to hear my heart on this. I want to be a part of what God is doing. I don't want us to miss it. And all that I want in my life is to know God more. And all that I want for you is to know God in deeper ways. And all that I want for our city is to know that he is everything that they long for and are looking for. I want our church to be found in him and to, and to be a people who reveal that the gospel is the healing truth, that it is the redemption that everyone longs for, that we would truly desire, as Josh said, every man, woman, and child to know him for the percentage of lostness to decrease. And man, I just want to experience that. A movement of God that cannot be explained in any other way than something divine. Than the power of God moving. And, and I know maybe to your, you're sitting here this morning and maybe you're thinking that sounds like you have your head in the clouds. But as I said, God has already promised that he's coming with power. He's put the Holy Spirit in every believer. And the point of the Spirit is to point you to Christ and to reveal Christ to others. And so people will come to Christ when we live in him. Cities will be transformed when the church lives in him. And I hope you get excited about that. Because if we're not getting excited about that, there's something wrong with our understanding of the glory of God. And and if that's you, that's fine. We will fire up the heater again and put it in the tub and we'll have an invitation right now and you can come to faith, we'll baptize you and then you can experience what I'm experiencing right now. An excitement for the things of God.
that is greater and better than anything we can find or seek life in in this world. And we've got to know that as a church, that God's church will grow, that it cannot be stopped. His mission will not be slowed down. There are no detrimental obstacles. There are no timeouts. That no matter what we are going through in our culture, no matter what pandemic might be threatening church as we knew it, God is moving. God is powerful. He has called us to something that is worth all of life. And we need to understand that. And I want us to consider that this morning. And I want you to understand that as Redemption Hill Church, I want you to just kind of be put on notice right now. We are not just going into some kind of survival mode. We are not just trying to maintain. We are pushing forward in what God is doing. We are actively seeking him and being led by his spirit. And whatever doors he opens, we will walk through boldly, knowing that he will provide, knowing he will move, knowing we will see him do something far greater than we could ever ask or imagine. And that is everything we find joy in. And so we're going to move forward. And whatever doors he opens, we're going to keep baptizing people. When we first launched this church, my prayer was, and and Matt was praying this with me, that we would average one person being baptized every single Sunday morning. And and, and almost three years in, we are on pace for that. And, and, And so what that tells me is not, okay, first of all, we celebrate that, but then second of all, we're praying too small. God, we want you to do more. We want to lean in more. We want more people to to join our family and to be on mission, to be mobilized for what you are calling them to do. And God is doing some other incredible things that we're going to share with you as soon as we know that the doors that are open, we can actually walk through together. But we are very expectant in this moment of time because God often reveals himself most powerful in the most unopportune moments. It's what he does here in the book of Acts in the church of Antioch. People are being persecuted and people are giving their lives for faith and the church is absolutely exploding. And we serve the same God with the same power today. And so I want us to look here in these first three verses of Acts chapter 13 as we see God move. And listen to me, we see him move through one church in one city, through two people full of the Holy Spirit and the world is flipped upside down. Here we are because of what God does here. Look at chapter 13 verse 1. Now, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers. That's important. Everything is foundationally set in the teaching of God's word. The the teachers and prophets were Barnabas, Simeon, who is called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, the member of the court of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. Then notice what they do after. Then after fasting and praying, the church laid their hands on them and sent them off. And I want us to pause right there. And and the first thing that I want us to see in this text is just to be reminded of the beauty of the gospel and the unity that it brings and the redemption that we have in it. The freedom of not having to find ourselves and who we are and what we've done and what we've accomplished or where we're from. Like all of the worldly distinctions that we find value and worth in go out the door when we are saved in the grace of Christ. And we are able to see people differently and see things differently through the lens of who we are in Christ and made in his image. And and suddenly we can have relationships with those we couldn't have relationships before because we couldn't figure it out. And we can see things in the world in, in a redemptive way instead of using it to gain from the world and creation everything that we feel like we are missing but can only find in Christ. See, when we're saved by his grace, it radically transforms everything and it brings healing into every relationship, into everything that we do. And we see this so amazingly in these church leaders. Look at the church leaders in Antioch. And by the way, this is the first church that actually sends people out as God had called them to do. Until this point, people have been sent out, but it's through persecution. Like God is forcing them out. And the church in Jerusalem missed something that the church in Antioch gets. And it's the gospel saves all people and calls us to be a witness to all people. 
Look at the leaders here in the church of Antioch. They reflect the community of Antioch so well. And that's, that's one of the things that we long for and pray for as a church, that we would reflect our community and where God has placed us. Look who they have. Barnabas. And we know Barnabas, the encourager. He's the disciple maker. We talked about him. He, he represents this how to make disciples who make disciples in truth and in love. And he presses forward us forward, but he also walks with us where we are. And so he's an encourager, but he's also a Hellenistic Jew. And so he actually speaks Greek and, and he's a traditionalist Jew. And so he's kind of like the, the stereotypical picture of being saved out of Sunday school. Right, so he knows everything about God's word. He knows the scriptures. He knows the Bible stories. He grew up only watching Christian movies, only telling Christian jokes, never cussing. Like all of these things that you just kind of stereotypically think of as the Sunday school kid, that's who Barnabas is. And he's a Hellenistic Jew. Then you have Paul. And by the way, in our text, we see that, that Saul and, and, and is predominantly referred to as Saul, now becomes predominantly referred to as Paul because he's, he's seeking the Gentile people. So he goes after uh, by his Greek name, Paul. We see that in our text. So Paul here is a leader in the church and he's a Hebraic Jew. So the Hellenistic Jews and the Hebraic Jews outside of the gospel don't get along very well. All right, but he's also a brainiac radical. And he believes that everything I believe is so true that if you don't believe it, you deserve to be imprisoned or die. And he's going around before he knows Jesus, putting Christians into prison and having them killed. We saw that in Acts chapter 7 with Stephen. So we have a Hellenistic Jew, we have a Hebraic Jew, and then it says Simeon. Simeon was a black man from North Africa, and then we have Lucian, who's also from North Africa, but scholars believe that he was of a white complexion. So we have a white man, a black man, a Hellenistic Jew, and a Hebraic Jew, right? It sounds like a weird walking into a bar joke, all right? And that's not even the end of it, because then we have Mannion, and Mannion is Palestinian. And then he's also, it says, Luke tells us, a longtime friend of Herod the Tetrarch. That's Herod Antipas. You might remember him from beheading John the Baptist and then from Pilate sending Jesus to Herod and all Herod cares about because all he cares about is popularity and power. And he hears that Jesus is coming and all he wants Jesus to do, he doesn't want to hear the truth of Jesus, doesn't want to know who Jesus is. All he wants Jesus to do is put on a magic show. Can you just David blame it a little bit for us here? And when Jesus doesn't do what Herod wants him to do, then he sends him back to Pilate to be crucified. And Mannion, there's a very likely chance that Mannion is with Herod during all of that stuff. And now God has radically saved him. And this Palestinian man is hanging out with a Hellenistic Jew, a Braid Jew, a black man, and a white man, all because of the grace of God. Now listen, if you're paying attention to this, it sounds like this is some kind of reality TV show casting. Like, can you just give us the five dudes that if we put them in a house full of cameras, there's no way they're not going to kill themselves. That'll be 15 good years of entertainment, right, for the American people. That's basically what's happening here. And only by the grace of God do they come together being defined not by where they are from, who they were friends with, what language they spoke, what they believed, but now all found in the glory of God in community with him. And they begin to call themselves brothers and leaders of one church. And they're being sent out together and they're supporting one another and they're praying together and for one another. Man, they are, they are functioning the way that we want to function as a church. That we would reveal the community that we are in and that we would love all people as brothers and sisters and those who do not know Jesus, we would love to Christ and that we would love people because they are created in the image of God and not based on where they're from and what they do. And listen to me, you think those five men coming together aren't revealing something of a picture of the gospel truth to the rest of the world in, in the city of Antioch? Like in the, in the, as we've explained the culture that the early church was developing in, do you think this isn't revealing something really special? Do you also think that it wouldn't reveal something really special if the church even today started defining themselves by who they are in Christ and not where they live or what they do or where they're from? 
man, that would reveal something so incredible of the kingdom of God. I, I pray that for us and we see it here in the church of Antioch. But listen, to have that outcome, they base themselves on a couple of things. And, and this is what I want us to see in these first three verses, that they were a people of God defined by his grace, but, but they weren't just kind of saved and then, okay, well, let's just kind of go figure it out. Let's make some of our own plans. We prayed the prayer. We got baptized. And, and now we're going to figure out what to do and how to find ourselves and how to make a life for ourselves and what pedestal we need to put ourselves on and, and how we're going to build the church. And let's read all the leadership books and, and let's go to the church growth conferences and all of those different kinds of things. They didn't do any of that. Listen to me, I, I don't want to get off on a rabbit trail here, but we have had in the last 20, 30 years more church growth conferences and leadership books for pastors and churches than we've had in the rest of, of human history, and the church is shrinking. Like more self-help books have come out in the last 20 years than ever before, and more people are depressed and anxious than ever before. Listen, we do not need to know how to, how to strategize and do all these things in man's power. We need to lean into the power of the Holy Spirit. And the way we do that is to be founded on what these men were founded on. So, so look what they do. First, it says that they were teachers of the truth. That this church was not built on Paul or Barnabas or any other leader in the church, but they were built on the word of God. And, and this, this word of God that we must be built on, listen to me, it teaches us the language of God. It, it teaches us who God is, how we know him, who we are in him, what he's done for us, how we relate to him, how we relate to one another, how we relate to the world, what our purpose is and the mission that we're called to. And outside of an understanding of God's word in a deeper and deeper way, we will be further and further lost from all of those things. You can seek until you're blue in the face who you are, where you fit, what you're supposed to do. But if you're not founded in the word of God, defining all that you are and all that you do based on who God is and what he has called you to be in him, then you are just running towards deeper lostness. See, they were founded in the word of God. So they knew who they were. And I want you to understand that when we dive deep into God's word, it captures our hearts because there is no greater truth. Your ears long to hear the truth of God. Your soul longs to be full of who God is. And when we get into God's word in a life-giving way, and it begins to define who we are and determine our purpose, it will guide and determine our worship. And every single one of us are worshipers of something and what we worship is, is determined by what we try to find life and value and worth in. And the more we know God, the more we will find life and worth in him. And the more we will worship him, the more we will want to know more of him, the more we will long to be deeper in his word. Because his word defines where we find all of life. And this happens in them as they're teaching in the church of Antioch the truth of who God is, and it causes deep worship in them. See, we pick up these five guys when they're worshiping God after teaching who he is. So they're just worshiping away at the thing that gives them life, the creator of all that they see and all that they know, and the creator that created them to have community in him. And so they're longing for more of him. They're desperate for him. They're finding life and value in him. And when we do that, we not only worship him and are driven deeper into his word, but we're also driven to prayer and fasting. See, they were so desperate to know what God desired for them to do and to have more of him that they are fasting. They're giving things up to show their desperation to hear from God, to be close to God, to know God. They're praying and seeking that they would have the heart of God. And it says, in the midst of that, the Spirit speaks. And they hear from the Holy Spirit and the Spirit calls them full of the Holy Spirit, it says, to send Barnabas and Paul out. And I want us to know that word full there means to be controlled by. And if you're a follower of Christ, you are full of the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit living and dwelling in you. And yes, there are times that he will do things in you that are unexplainable, but you have the full power of the Holy Spirit. And the question is whether or not we're being controlled by the identity we have in Christ or we're being controlled by the things of the world. 
to whether or not we're leaning in and we're hearing what he is calling us to and we're allowing him to lead us in all that we do. But if we are founded in the truth of God, we will worship him for our value and life. We will seek him to know him, find community with his people. Notice that they're all gathered together. The spirit leads and the spirit guides because they are founded on his word, together seeking him in prayer, desperate to know God and to lean into him more. And in that moment, the spirit leads. Listen, I, I, I hear the question a lot. How do I know that the Spirit's in me? How do I know the Spirit's leading me? How do I know what I'm supposed to do? How do I understand the will of God? All of these different kinds of things. And I just want you to know that if you are a child of God, He is not hiding His Spirit from you. He is not hiding His will from you. It's like with my kids. I'm a dad, and with my kids, my guidance is not hidden from them ever. Like, like their world with me is not some kind of big game of hide and seek for them to, to kind of find my hidden favor or my secret love or to, to kind of unearth or unconceal my provision for them. They never have to do that. My voice is always there. My presence is always there. I'm constantly loving them in the perfect way that I can, even though I'm an imperfect father. But listen to me, you have a perfect father in God. And he is always with you and he is always there and he is never hiding. His voice is always true. He is always faithful to his promises. He is always with you. He is always guiding. His provision is always there. And with my kids, where there is doubt of my love and my provision and my goodness for them, it is not because I am absent, but because they are not listening or they have walked out of my presence. Because it's always there for them. And a lot of us, we want to hear from God, but then we don't give him any time to speak. We don't seek him in his word to know his voice. And when he speaks, we don't even know it's him. When he leads, we're too busy to follow. And we've got a whole world out there that we're defining as life and worth and success. And when he guides us, we don't respond like the church does by sending out and supporting and praying. But we go, no, I don't have time for that. Right? Like I got way better things to do with my life. Some of you are even thinking that right here in this moment. I got way better things to do with my life than be hearing from God right now. I'm too busy for this. I've got this going on. And so we desperately want to hear from God as his people, but then we're not giving him any space and we're not going to him in his word and we're not seeking his voice. And listen to me, if you want to hear from God, I will promise you this. He will speak to you and you will hear his voice if you are founded in the word of God. If you are worshiping him for all of your value and worth, if you are desperate for him in prayer and you are willing to give up anything in your life to be closer to him, that the glory of the Lord is greater than anything you can find on planet earth, then I promise you that the Holy Spirit will be loud and clear in your life that he will guide you in every moment and what you are to do. Now, sometimes it'll be uh, just immediate and you pray and you seek him and boom, he gives you the answer. And then sometimes he's going to want you to lean in more. He's going to want you to kind of get past the God, I'm coming to you for me. And so I can use you. And so you can do this for me and just get into the realm of God, I'm just doing this for you. I'm seeking you for you. Any circumstance that comes, it is for your glory. And, and that is for my joy. And so sometimes it'll be immediate. Sometimes it'll be that God wants you to lean in in a deeper way, but he will talk to you and you will hear from him. And, and I, want us to, I want us to see this, that the, the mission, the church that sends out missions, that changes the world and plants churches all over the place, that comes together in the unity of Christ as we all desire to, even in our culture today, but have no idea how to get there. You know how that all begins? You know the foundation of that mission that changes the world? We got to see this. The mission that begins, that changes the world, begins with right worship in the church. It begins with right purpose in the church. It begins with right truth in the people of God. 
It begins with right desperation. It begins with right seeking of life with all of God's people. You want your life to be lived to the maximum purpose. You want this church to experience God in an unexplainable way. It all begins by being founded in the word of God together. It all begins with worshiping him together. It all begins with seeking him together. It all begins by being desperate for him together. And in that, the spirit leads through his people and the world is shifted and changed. As we grow in him and, and desire him in deeper and deeper ways. See, there's a, there's a big problem in the church today with, with living as the church should and us having churches that we desire and, and feel like the church should be living in and, and how the church should be revealing God. And, and can I just say, none of that is outside the church. Like the problem with the church being the church as it should be is not some obstacle outside of the church. It's not about our culture. It's not about any kind of government that might threaten freedoms. It's not about anything that happens outside of what's happening in here. It's not about, it's not, the goal is not for us just to grow big or to build big or to have big budgets. Our strategies are not the problems. Our, our mission uh, opportunities are not the problem. What we're doing in the community isn't the problem. And I hear all the time, if the church would just get out and get out of the pews and do that or do this or not do that or not do this, then, then everything would be fine and the church would be what it is called to be. Now that's good. We should get out of the church and be on mission. We've already, we've already said that. But if that's what the church is founded on, then it's not being founded on the gospel through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. See, those are byproducts of what the Spirit does when we're found in his truth and we're seeking him desperately to be his people because all we want to do is glorify him in everything. And listen to me, the church that believes that God is worthy of all glory will seek him in truth We'll seek him in prayer together. We'll be desperate for him to lead. We'll use all of their resources for the glory of God. It will transform the way we see each other, the way we relate to our community, the way we go to work, the way we go to our neighborhoods, the way we spend our money. Because listen, the church that believes that God is worthy of all glory will devote their lives to make his glory known. And that will be revealed in our context and whatever our city needs. And part of the problem is the church thinks we just need to go and do all this X, Y, Z, and we don't even make room in our churches for this and for prayer. And see, what God is calling his people to that will be a, lead to a mission that will change the world is for his people to actually love his word, to know his word, to care about his truth, to be desperate for his glory, to be desperate to grow in him, to be desperate to be led by the spirit and the church that is desperate for God will do more than we could ever ask or imagine. And there will be a movement in that city that leads to the rest of the world, even in our day that will be unexplainable outside of the divine. I long for that. I don't want us to just mess around. All the other stuff is a byproduct of what we do here and are sent out, mobilized for, to be missionaries where we live and where we work and where we play to reveal his kingdom above all other things. Man, I, I want our church to experience that. Because listen to me, anything, anything less than that that we pursue will be boring. Absolutely boring. You want to know why church is so boring to some of us? You want to know why we're like pastors today are looking at all these stats and going, oh man, we can't sing more than three songs and one's just a burner at the beginning for people to get here late and the sermon better not go past 30 minutes and, and it better just be as funny as you can possibly make it. And after the church, the pastor's going to go on the front row and lean over and say, was that funny enough? Was it short enough? Was it entertaining enough? You want to know why you're bored with church? It's because we care less about God and hearing from him and more about if you're entertained. You want to know why you're not on mission? Because you're just coming here for an experience instead of being mobilized to go on mission. See, the church that changed the world was sent out, but it all began in the building where they went to God. They went to his word. They went to him in prayer. The spirit spoke, and then they sent them out. 
And God just exploded all over the city and it moved to the rest of the world. And man, I want us to be a part of that. And for us to be a part of that, we got to see a couple of things in our last couple of minutes together. I just want to pull out a couple of principles from the rest of this text. Because when they are sent out, which is what we desire to do, it's, it's why it sounds corny, but even at the end of every service, we say, Redemption Hill Church, you are sent. Because that is the truth. It's, it's not just some little thing that we do to be cute. It's because we want you to know that is why you are here. When you drive out of this place, you're going to see three little signs on your side, on your left side, and it's going to say you are sent because that's what we are all about. Building one another up, loving one another in community, being sent out on mission that disciples may make disciples. And if we want to do that, we see some, some things really quickly that Paul and Barnabas are sent out to do. They go to three different places in this chapter. They go to Cyprus, Perga, and Antioch of Poseidon. This is not the same Antioch. There were actually 16 different Antiochs in this region, all named after Antiochus. So they were sent out from Antioch. They go to a different Antioch. That happens a lot in scripture. But they go to these three different places, and I'm, I'm just going to list out five principles we see. All right, the first one that we see right here in verses 4 through 12, Paul goes out and he goes first to the synagogue. All right, now Paul was called to the Gentiles, but when he gets to Cyprus, he goes to the synagogue. And the thing that I want us to see here is that they first go to the people where they feel like in this city, the word will be most received. So the synagogue already believes in the Old Testament. So all Paul needs to do is, re is reveal Christ to them. Is to say, hey, you believe all this stuff? Well, all of this stuff was pointing towards Jesus. And now all of a sudden he's mobilizing a church in the city and he'll let God open up the other doors, which God does to the governor, Paulus. And so we see Paul go into the city and what Luke chapter 10, as I referred to earlier, would call that is going into a city and seeking people of peace. See, when you go into your workplace, there are people that you already have relationship with, you eat lunch with in your neighborhood. There are people that you wave to. There are people that you don't run and hide from. Like there are people that you just kind of get along with. They like you. And as they're getting to know you, they should be getting to know your identity in Christ. And God is already orchestrating relationships for you to have those conversations. And so the first principle we see is that when we are sent out, we look for people that we are already in community with, that we're already going to lunch with, that we sit next to at work, that are already having conversations with us, and we become intentional in those conversations. We become intentional as they get to know us in deeper ways. And then, and then as they do that, then God leads them to Paulus. Paulus actually hears about it and comes and gets them and summons them, the governor of Cyprus. And so Paul is sent to the governor of Cyprus to share the truth with him. And here we see the second thing, that while he is there, he actually has opposition to the gospel. And we know that every time we share the gospel truth, we will have opposition to the gospel. But the second principle is when we are leaning into God through his word, we are seeking him with his people. We are going to him in prayer. We are being led by the spirit. Then guess what? When opposition comes, the spirit leads and guides. He will be there every single time. And so this guy, Bar-Jesus, a sorcerer of the governor, he comes up and he's whispering in Paulus's ear as Paul's proclaiming the gospel truth. That's not true. That's not true. I don't want to lose my job. I'm your religious man. And all of these different things out of this pride for what he believes and materialism for not wanting his life to be shifted and changed, which by the way is why a lot of people re uh, refuse the gospel truth. So Bar-Jesus is whispering in Paulus's ear and, and God gives him, it says, through the power of the Holy Spirit, full of the Holy Spirit, controlled by the Holy Spirit, exactly what needs to be said to Bar-Jesus. And God shows up in a powerful way, miraculously. And then Paulus is like, I believe. And a church begins in Cyprus. It says the word continued to multiply. Then verse 13, they go on to Perga, and this is the, the third thing that we see, that when they are sent out, they are sent out together. And what this reveals to us as Barnabas and Paul and Mark go together to Perga is that this is not the only discipleship that you need. 
that we are sent out, but we are sent out as the people of God to live life together, to encourage one another, to, to be together, to pray for one another. And we see Barnabas do this with Paul and both with Mark. And even though we have a kind of a little, we could throw in a, a, another um, thing here by saying Mark just kind of leaves and, and there's this division between a church that's even working really well because people are sinful and hard. But discipleship continues to happen and Mark is going to rejoin them. Later on, Paul's actually going to ask for Mark. And then Barnabas is pouring into Mark and right here in this text, we see it go in this verse from Barnabas and Paul, everywhere it's described in scripture to Paul and Barnabas. Barnabas has passed the torch and they're walking in life together. And so when we are sent out, we walk together. We do life together. We are there for one another. And then look at the rest of the text. 14 to 52, Paul actually preaches his first recorded sermon. He starts with the Old Testament and he's in the synagogue again in Antioch and he's walking through the whole Old Testament and then he gets to Jesus and introduces them to Jesus in verses 37 to 39. That everything that you've been waiting for, that everything that you've longed for, the Messiah that you have looked for, Jesus came and he's the better David. He's the better king. He's the better savior. He's the one who lived for you and died for you and rose and overcame death so that you can have new life in him. And all those who believe will be saved. And he lays out this reality. The law cannot save you. No religious activity can save you. And he points them to Jesus. And here's where I want us to get our fourth principle. Paul, as they are sent out, he knows the people and he knows the Bible. See, he goes to the synagogue and he preaches in the synagogue the Old Testament because he knows that they understand the Old Testament and then he just makes the bridge to Jesus, which they are misunderstanding. He does this again when he goes to Athens. He doesn't start with the Old Testament in Athens. In, in the next chapter, he goes to Lystra. He doesn't start with the Old Testament. He starts with creation because he knows the people and he knows the scripture. And so he's able to go to the people, know the context he's in, and speak the truth into that context. We need to be a people who are not blind to what is happening in the culture around us, who know what our coworkers are going through, who understand what our neighbors are going through. And then we need to be people who know scripture well enough to connect where people are with where Jesus can be found. That's what Paul and Barnabas do. They're represented to Jesus and, and a lot of them like it and a lot of them don't. They get invited back to synagogue next week and they show up and then we see our fifth principle and we'll close with this, that many people when we are sent out will reject, but many people will receive. Amen. That God will build his church that his plan will not be thwarted. And so we see in verse 42, they come back to the synagogue and they present the gospel, it says, with boldness. And many people get extremely excited, Gentile and Jew alike, and they give their life to Christ. The church is multiplied. There's a church now in Antioch. But then a lot of people out of pride and position reject the truth, get upset. They kick Paul and Barnabas out of the city. But here's what I want us to see. When they're kicked out, they're not depressed. They don't feel rejected. It says in verse 51 that they dust their shoes off and they go on to Lystra. Amen. Because the mission of God and where we find our life is not dependent on our circumstance or what people think, but in Christ alone. And nothing can take that away. Yes. So as they leave in verse 52, they are full of joy, controlled by the Spirit. I pray that for our church.